now. Three, two, one, go! What's up, everybody? This is episode 98 of Cooldown Time. In this episode, we're taking a good hard look at Phil Spencer of Xbox to ask ourselves, is something up with this dude? Plus, is the term JRPG racist? Final Fantasy 16's creator seems to think so, so let's talk about it. Plus, is Elden Ring DLC a good thing? The answer might not be as simple as you think, but Let's go ahead and introduce your two-man panel for the show. I'm your graphically impressive host, Marco, and joining me is the technical mess of the show, Pablo. Pablo, how you been, man? I've been pretty good. Uh, just uh, had a day off today, S- hung out with my son, mm. uh, playing some games, playing a lot of Octopath Traveler. Oh Kid's been napping God. a lot. RPG, Pablo. Wow. Yeah, right. uh, he's been napping a lot today. So I've been, I've been uh, octopathing through uh, these streets. This that game is kind of hard. Well, we'll talk about it uh, uh, in the loadouts here. But man, how about mm-hmm. how about yourself? How how are you doing on this glorious uh, day? Yeah, man, doing all right. Except for the last like thirty minutes before we recorded, I went out to my car to grab something, and I felt like I got like. Punched in the face by pollen at oh this point, God. which is always great right before you record a podcast. You know, you just get 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 pollen to the face. You know, I just told him <laughs> not my imagine, eyes, not in my eyes. I, okay, <laughs> I just imagine our listeners hearing this this show just be like, these guys are so old. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I can't lie. That's some old. That, that's some old ass shit to complain about. Ah, there's pollen outside. Oh, oh God! You have been gay? I can borrow. It's the kind of shit that your parents would complain about, and you and you as a child had no idea what the hell they were talking yeah. about. Like, what is pollen? Yeah. Besides where you're from, and uh, <laughs> why is it in my mom's nose? Uh, I don't yeah. know, man. I, I'm embracing my old. That's the thing, though. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to be. I'm. I'm not trying to be the <laughs> hello fellow kids guy. You know what I mean? That there's like the the risk of doing that is very real at this age bracket. So I'm trying my best. To not be that guy, especially with the way I dress, I have to be very careful with that. Because if I'm trying too hard, oh, man, I'll look, I'll look, I'll look ridiculous out here. Yeah, you look like you'll look like uh, Ed Hardy. Uh, oh man, remember those? Remember man? that shit? Oh no, my, 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 I know. Starting this show, we were kind of a little conscious. I think at the beginning of not talking about, not sounding too old because we're we don't know, we don't know what this podcast podcasting thing is about. But we don't know our demo. You know, I, I think we are what we are, and we are in our late thirties, uh, and it's okay to embrace that oldness. Uh, mm. But yeah, I agree with you, man. I have like a pair of Air Force Ones and. I wear them, but every time I wear them, I'm just in my head. I'm like, I'm a fraud. I just feel like I should be wearing these things. I'm like, where are my new balances at? Have you had a midlife crisis at all yet or no? Nah, I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm wired that way. Like I, I just I feel like my whole life has been in crisis. So I. I All right. See, that's dramatic. Ain't got time for that. I don't think I. I don't know. I just. I don't. Maybe. I'm sure everybody says I don't think I'll have one, and they end up having one. But I have not had one yet. Uh, I had one two years ago, and it was predominantly around the way I dressed. So I had this this probably two months where I went hard in the paint 
for like new clothes. Like I decided I'm throwing out all my old shit. I'm getting a bunch of new stuff and I want to look youthy, you know? And so mm. I bought a bunch of douchey ass like colors and the, I went in the pastel section of every damn store and I, I was I was looking crazy out here. And finally, I'm like, I looked in the mirror one day. I actually think I was drunk. And I looked in the mirror in my bathroom and I'm like, I look like an asshole. <laughs> and I actually got rid of all that shit and I just kind of went back to my old, you know, old faithfuls. But listen, man, grays, it's, it's hard, man. Black. It's hard. Because then you don't want to look too old either. You don't want to look old beyond your years like you just said, fuck it. And I'm just going to wear yeah. a bunch of old baggy denims and, you know, a polo shirt. You yeah, know what I mean? no, I don't wear, I don't wear, I made a rule not to wear any kind of polos unless it's work related or I'm playing mm. golf, which is another old man shit. Um, but I just wear a lot of tees. Uh, I wear some V-necks. I, I V-neck it up, yeah. I have yep. some fitted jeans. I don't do skinny, but I do slim fit kind of jeans. You know, I, I'm just trying to be out here. <laughs> I'm trying to, at this point, I'm trying to look my age because we also run the, the, the danger of not looking our age. I remember my father always looking like he was 55 years old and <laughs> this man had me when he was like 20 so like by the time so i was true. like already a teenager my dad was my age today and my dad <laughs> tucked everything in and i'm talking about undershirts too man this oh man was God. crazy Not my dad dresses younger now or i should say he dresses his age now uh-huh. more than he did then so he looks way better dressing so i got to be conscious that i don't try to go too much into the mature side of things and literally start mm. tucking in my damn t-shirts my uh my uh my video game i have some video game tees tucking in my damn video game t-shirts no we can't talk if you tuck in the shirt man you can't do my that. dishonored tee <laughs> then it just, yeah no nah, usually what happens is you, you tuck it in too much then it pulls everything in and then all of a sudden your nips are poking through and everything i don't need I, <laughs> that's a terrible no we're not doing all that all right um all right enough areola talk let's get to the show pablo uh Great show this week. We have a lot of interesting topics to get into, especially with Hit Points and our Checkpoint. We're talking about the games that define us uh, once again. Uh, so looking forward to that segment and obviously other discourse with my boy as well. Hopefully, if all of you are enjoying this, uh, you'll give our show a sub and pardon us for our old man fashion talk. We're on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> uh, Spotify, Google, even our own official website at cooldowntime.com. And if you're feeling extra cool, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Hive at It's Cool Down Time to keep us in your FOV in between episodes. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into the first segment of the show, Pablo, dedicated to the games we've been playing since our listeners last heard from us that we call Loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, now off the bat, Pablo, I'm already mm. confused. Because uh, you got a game on your list I've never heard before. You got a game called Wolong Fallen Dynasty. I don't know what that is, but I know about <laughs> Wolong <laughs> Fallen Dynasty. I ain't gonna man. lie. When I when I said that just now, my audacity just went. What the fuck are you yeah. doing, man? <laughs> the decibels, you went in the bro. red. I, my ear, my right ear hurts uh, now. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm gonna stick with the. With the traditional uh, pronunciation of Wo Long Fallen Dynasty, mm. uh, only one of us can be doing Chris Tucker impression right now. See, you don't respect uh, this show. <laughs> All right, talk about it, man. What are you thinking about this game here? Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about this game no more because Octopath Traveler is the game that took oh. over. It. I, 
I played okay. I played the demo and I played a little bit of the beginning of the game and for all intents and purposes it, it feels a lot like Neo but with a little bit more of an um, a little bit more of movement fluidity like you know the the jump it, the jump is very prevalent in the game uh, I love the parry I think the parry in this game is among the best parries of all these kind of Souls like games I think that um, I think that Ninja Theory has figured out their mm-hmm. version of Souls I mean Team um, Ninja. Tim Ninja, sorry, has figured out their version of this, um, of, of their souls like, and it is not as good as from software, but it is probably, in terms of the way that it's structured, the second best of these kinds of games, and they're very hard to replicate. So, um, I would love to keep talking about the game. I played through the demo a little bit at the beginning, like I said, um, but there's not much that I can add other than I like it. I like it a lot. But I am in a position right now where uh, my son is is, is uh, needing more attention, and I'm gladly giving it to him. Obviously, so I am having to force myself to 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 only play one or two games at a time. And if I'm playing two games at a time, they got to be pretty different. And playing Ishing and Wolong is a little bit of a even though obviously they're not the same thing. One's Chinese, one's Japanese in terms of like where they're set. But like it's that sword play kind of game. I I don't I don't want to do I don't want to double dip right now and get yeah. bored and kind of them to cancel each other out. So I'm concentrating on Yishin and I'm moving over to Octopath Traveler two. I will be talking about Wolong Final Fantasy down the line. You for are fucking up every name possible right now. You said Wolong Final Fantasy. Tim I Ninja. Said, no, I said Final Dynasty. <laughs> I, I thought you said Final Fantasy. I don't know what. Man, I was like, this is, a, this is the mashup of man, all mashups. We we, we definitely uh, set expectations early on talking about our old age. <laughs> uh, like, what you say? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll definitely be talking about uh, Wolong down the road because it's a game that I'm definitely going to play. Uh, it's getting pretty decent reviews. So, uh, But I know you played it as well, and maybe you have a dif- uh, different opinion, or do you want me to go ahead and jump into Octopath Traveler? No, no, no. I want to talk about, whoa, long Final uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy. Uh, the Final Fantasy 13. Um, so, no, here's the thing. <laughs> hey! All, <laughs> all, all, all jokes aside with names right now. Um, you know, it's weird because um, I did the same thing, first of all, when you know I was playing Ishin, which I, I finished, by the way. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But when I, I finished Ishin, I was like, all right, now I'm ready to kind of dig in to Wolong to see... You know, all right, let me see what I can do now that I kind of mainline it a little bit. Um, the best way I can describe this game is if you've played the Neo series, it feels a bit like a step back. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. It can be seen more like, okay, they streamlined things, they trimmed the fat. They don't have as many things going on at the same time like Neo did because Neo had like three different stances, high, medium, low, yep. and then yep. it had a bunch of other shit. This kind of gets rid of a lot of that and it keeps combat a little bit more simplistic and probably a little bit more accessible uh, as well, particularly with being more forgiving when it comes to like when you die, you don't lose all of your uh, souls or whatever level up currency they call it. I don't remember key or something like that. Um you know, so it is a little bit more welcoming, but it is still a relatively difficult game. I think the problem that I have with it is that the movement and the the combat feels a bit floaty to me. Like there's there's the thing that I loved about the Souls games, even if I wasn't good at them, was that everything felt very weighty. You know, in, in the right way, uh, not weighty to the point of being tanky, but like weighty to the point where impact felt like, you know, very tangible and real. And in this game, to me, I um. 
I just feel like it's too loose. It just doesn't feel like heavy enough with like different weapon types that you get and uh, the way that your character moves around. Like I can't get a, a good feel for the game uh, because everything feels so lightweight and it's hard to describe it in, in, in this way. But I think if, if people play it, I think they might know what I mean to a, to an extent. Yeah. Um, the combat is interesting uh, because of that parry or deflect, what, you know, whatever they call it. I think the problem that I have with that is that it kind of hangs its hat on that a little too much to the point where it feels like other combat elements, like just traditional blocking, don't feel very viable. Um, and so it feels like it's kind of not forcing you to play it one way, but it's strongly encouraging that you do. Um, sure. to, to yeah. get to get through things the easiest possible fashion and I kind of don't like that because um, I I think it kind of constricts play style um, a bit too much and it makes the combat feel a bit one note at times so I can see this game being problematic five hours in or ten hours in because you're kind of at, at a certain point the, the fights feel relatively similar yeah. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a game that I'm going to stick to. I mean, I'm glad I yeah. tried it out and it's, it's not a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game at all. I think, I think it's like in an 82 right now on open critic on, uh, on open critic. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's about, you know, give or uh, maybe I'd go a few points lower, but I think it's around that low eighties range. I, so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, one thing about the game that kind of stood out for me is that, uh, the, it's pretty easy. Um, and you come into these games and you have some kind of like trepidation with like approaching uh, enemies with a little bit more pre uh, precaution because of the nature of souls likes. And then I realized fairly quickly, if you get the jump on an enemy, there's no, they got no chance, you know? So, um, so I do like that, but I also feel like that's going to mess me up when it comes to boss fights. Cause the boss fights are a little harder. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've already seen people kind of complain about the difficulty spike where it's like it, you get into a boss, which is extremely hard, takes you hours, if not days to be and then there's a whole chunk of a game where you can just pretty much play with your eyes closed so it's one of those it's it's a weird thing in that way when you're trying to make a game too accessible you kind of take away the thing that makes it good uh so there's that but i did like the elemental kind of things that you can map to your uh face uh, uh buttons mm -hmm. uh there's a fire and there's the rock um the, I actually the i didn't like a lot of that to be honest with you it felt I, like a I, too, I, it felt like too much yeah see that, that's it and i agree Early on, it does, but that's, I think that's the thing that's going to keep me uh, down the road interested in, in playing the game and changing up my, my play style a little bit where I can do a, a, a parry or a deflect, and then if the, if the enemy comes too close, I can do the fire or the rock thing, kind of push him away, give myself a little more space, mm. use that as a spacing mechanism. But I agree, early on, it feels like there's a lot going on, but I think that those kind of things will come together down the road. But I... I um I'm excited to play it. It's just again the, I got other games right now that are just way too way more interesting and a lot, um and just kind of really got me got my attention right now. So well, speaking of which, I mean you you yeah. hinted at it at the top of the of the show, uh you hinted at it during loadouts. We might as well just go there, man. Ta yeah, talk man. to me. What what the hell happened? How did we get from this this franchise is not for us to I'm obsessed with Octopath Traveler too. What happened? Well, what? Because they do very smart thing. They release a three-hour demo that is basically the beginning of the game that can transfer over to your uh, main game if you buy it. There's no commitment. So, giving that they give you the opportunity to do that, I went ahead and did it. And very early on, I I, I was I was pretty like um I I was pretty impressed like I was with the first game visually and all that stuff, uh but it got to a point where I was I I 
I realized that I was really falling in love with the game when I was just kind of, I was just in it. Like every, I was hanging on to every word. I was really interested in the story. And then I was interested in, in other characters and what their story might be like. And then kind of delving into that a little bit and then realizing, oh, the structure isn't like the first game. The first game, you, everybody was the same. You did the same few things. Uh, and then in this game, not everybody has the same kind of structure. Like there's not a dungeon, boss dungeon. They have different things according to their, their personality. So I do like that uh, about it. So that right there kind of um, kind of took away my issues that I had with one. And then really, I think for me, I think there's been a desire for me to get into and lose myself into a traditional JRPG. It's just sometimes I get these these itches that I kind of want scratched, and very rarely do you have a um, you want something and then all of a sudden it presents itself, and it just ha so happens where I was kind of feeling I wanted to do that, and all of a sudden this game comes out, and you know in the most traditional sense JRPGs have pretty much evolved into into something else like the whole turn-based kind of rpg have been relegated to indie games games that are more like homages of your favorite jrpg or an indie project that is turn-based and it is ties a lot of tropes of jrpgs which is fine but there hasn't really been a game in recent memory besides the persona you know the personas of the world and sure. whatnot that have put full triple a money behind a jrpg and this is what this is uh you know i think that uh they're doing their part of keeping the traditional JRPGs going. Um, I, I think um, for a, uh, for a turn-based game to really grab my attention like this, uh, it really has to be a lot here. And I, I honestly think that the darker approach to all the stories that are being told, the motivations, uh, and how the world has evolved into something interesting. Like there are, there are different locations in the map yeah. and they don't all just feel frivolous they all have a purpose the people there are different from other places as well different personalities different worldviews all that stuff is incredibly interesting and look obviously it's beautiful to look at and playing it on a playstation 5 some of the lighting in that shit is absolutely fucking it's insane stunning. like it's it, it's it, so crazy because like it's not an hdr game but the way no. that lighting works and the way just the yeah. color palette is it it, yeah. you, it fools you into thinking it is because it's just so vibrant yeah. Yeah, and and every time you see the art style you're like, "Oh, the whole the whole thing here is that you can think about this game as if you're playing it on the SNES, right? You can't This is a 2023 as game uh using all the powers of the system that it possibly can to make it look as beautiful as it can. I mean, this game is like I said, it's stunning, but you're right. It, it doesn't have HDR, but the lighting coming from the back of the water and the way that the light spreads across that that shit some of that shit, shit is absolutely crazy yeah. but honestly the mvp here is the music uh yasinori nishiki i think i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing his name he actually i've looked through his stuff he hasn't done too much he, uh, the, the things that we might know him for are gravity rush 2 and uh pretty much the, uh, i think oh final fantasy 7 remake he had some uh some so his hand on that as well but oh, it's okay. really Octopath, but Octopath Two is for me. I mean, bar none. This, I, I, and I and I don't want to get caught up in hyperboles and, and be like, oh, this is. But I think this is some of the best music of any video game I've played ever. But for sure, in a very, very, very long time. Um, and, and again, back to the storytelling. I, I think it, it's storytelling 
is 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 written beautifully. The voice acting is acted well enough to where I know what emotions are trying to evoke. Uh, and I I love the fact that it is presented in um, in a way where, for example, I, I started with um Oswald Oswald and mm-hmm. Oswald is basically the Count of Monte Cristo that whole story is basically the Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> and it, it's so good the way that they they, they actually uh, you break out of prison and then you're you're because you're accused of killing your wife and your daughter um and all this stuff that just transpires afterwards it, it's beautifully done expertly uh crafted and it looks like there are tying things that are going to tie different characters together which is another thing that I really mm-hmm. kind of was disappointed with Octopath Traveler what tied all those characters in Octopath Traveler 1 was very paper thin and I'm hoping that there's more to that but even if I just play eight different stories and those eight different stories are as good as this um, then it's just, it's gonna be great and that so far has been my experience with it for sure yeah. um, I, I, I did you you tried the oh and the combat you know it is JRPG very uh, it's kind of very um, focused on uh, weak points and breaking those yeah. weak points yeah. uh, and each character has a different kind of um, kind of skill set that helps like you do that kind of and, deal, yeah. yeah and it's it, and the game is hard guys I, I'm running into these random encounters I have no potions nothing and I'm like damn I'm really having to think strategize one thing that I don't do well enough and I don't do often enough in JRPGs is use defend or use moves mm-hmm. that aren't very that aren't um uh, they're defensive minded, not offensive minded, and I am finding myself doing that here because I have to in order to survive, and that to me is just kind of opening my whole worldview on 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 playing these games in in such an in depth way, and so I'm really into it. I'm really loving everything about this game. Uh, so yeah, Marco, I know you played the the you played the demo. How do you feel about it? Yeah, so I put about two hours into that hoe, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, the first game didn't do it for me, dude. It was so boilerplate and cliche. I think it was trying too hard to be too much of a throwback to the point where it was it was like inheriting a lot of archaic aspects of storytelling yeah. with it, too. And um and I think it just wasn't a very stimulating concept because of that with the whole eight different characters thing. It's just like, okay, well it's just eight different vanillas, right? Right. Um this is a lot different because I think they've elevated their writing. I think they, from what I've at least sample sized, they've got a more eclectic array of characters. Um, they did a very smart thing by not making playing the first game mandatory, which I think is huge. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think their presentation values somehow have gotten even better. And, and <sighs> the music is especially the case there. I, uh, I spent my demo time playing as Hikari. Um, mm. The music in his uh, story, you know, is probably some of the best I've heard in a JRPG. I mean, it was banger after banger after banger. And um, I went on a couple of message boards to see, like, is it just me or is this soundtrack incredible? And people were like, yo, Hikari's, Hikari's. Man, when you play Hikari's, when you get to Hikari's, it's like, oh, okay, so it's not just me. So I think, I think that... Whoever homeboy is, he he struck gold with that soundtrack. I think yeah. he nailed it. Um, I think it carries so much of that game's presentation, and it really creates a lot of emotion in there, which I think is super important with a game like this, Pablo, because it's sprites. It's not yeah. it's not modern RPG where everybody has expressions and emotions, you know, that can carry the you know the the, the energy of the game. You need music to really elevate every scene and every moment. Um, 
along with the visuals. And I think that they absolutely killed it with that. Um, yeah. Money's a little tight right now for me, so I, I'm probably going to wait until it goes on sale a little bit. Um, but I think it's actually a huge turnaround from the first yeah. game. So it's currently just at, in an, case, it's at an 85 on Open Critic. I was just going to say that yeah. real quick. And I think it's deserving of that for sure. Yeah. And just in case that wasn't clear, I did end up buying the I did end up buying the game because I, I'm about um, seven and a half hours in. No, no, sorry. Yeah, no, almost ten hours in. The last time I checked uh, yeah. my time clock. So it's a long game, um, man. I heard it's like it hurts a good amount of time. It's sixty. It's sixty hours. Just kind of uh, if you mainline it, sixty five. If you do some of the side stuff early on, but it goes up. To, it could it could go. It can get you up to ninety, hundred hours if you do mm-hmm. all the side stuff. Which I I'm not. I'm never been the type to do side missions. And and the thing with the side missions in this game is interesting because there's there's no marker points for side missions. You just kind of have to run into uh, into into them. And there are certain things. I've heard some stories about certain side missions that I won't spoil here that I think are absolutely fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, that you'll never do unless you kind of put two skill sets of a character together to, to kind of net you a, a specific result. So like they, they went all out here. Like this is, um, if anything, Octopath Traveler was, uh, was a proof of concept. Uh, Octopath Traveler two is like the, is, 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 is them at full power really yeah. kind of flexing here. Uh, yeah, yeah man. Uh, Loving this game so far. Didn't think it was probably one of my biggest surprises of 2023 already. You know, obviously a long year to go. But if you were, I remember very vividly thinking about when they announced Octor Path Traveler 2. And I'm literally scoffing like, who gives a fuck? Uh, and apparently me. I, 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 I gave a fuck. I just didn't yeah. know it yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Enjoy that crow, sir. Um, oh, man. oh, and I listen, I'll eat it all day because it, I'm having such a great time with this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I hope you can. I, I hope you roll credits on it, man. That's a, that's quite yeah. an investment you just dove into. So I hope I hope you can pull it off. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, look, look if it, if it, if it's enthralling and it, and it gets me by the balls, just like you know, uh, uh, Xenoblade you Chronicles Three did. I mean, it took me some time to beat it, but it, I I'll beat it if, if it's if it's interesting enough. Uh, if it grabs you by the what? If it, if it grabs and tickles these balls. <laughs> All right, so grunting it out was unnecessary and rude to all of our listeners. So you don't care uh, about yeah, y'all. and then uh, the the game that I'm still playing as well, and I know you finished, and I'll yeah. and I'll I'll quickly just kind of give um, my thoughts here. Like a Dragon Ishin, I have to say, honestly, I'm having a real uncomfortable time with Ishin. Um, I am finding myself to have these moments of complete investment in the story and just an absolute uh just thirst to keep playing the game and then i have the opposite effect where i'm just oh back to the barracks back to the inn back to the barracks back to the inn like i'm having these weird swings of emotion with the game where i should probably be closer to being done than what i am but man i'm just having these times where i'm like Oh my God! Is this story going anywhere? Not 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 that it's not going anywhere because story actually is clipped and 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 paced really well. But it's like I gotta walk twenty minutes and 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 encounter seven different fights with these idiots to get the next pretty cool, pretty good story moment. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and it's just like it just feels really, uh, really old in, in its design in that way. And so, I am obviously still loving it. Um, uh, when it's hitting hard, when it's not, it's it's kind of a drag. Uh, the sub stories are, you know, I think the worst of the series. Uh, I, last time I said they weren't good enough. Now I have to say they're just not good. Um, 
and and they seem especially early on even all the way to like a chapter eight or nine uh they're still coming up and they're like stopping momentum you know uh, mm-hmm. like you're running to the barracks because the next you have to stop something from happening and then this guy i hurt my ankle i'm like <laughs> i don't oh good and he and he Dog. obnoxiously just sits there in the middle of the bridge until i accept his goddamn sub story i'm like yeah. I, I run around his ass all the time fuck that guy <laughs> he's um, been laying there for weeks huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like it's it's one of those things where the the remake of an older game starts those little kind of warts start kind of peeking out a little bit. Yeah, and um, I I love it when I love it, and man, I am kind of just so annoyed with it when uh when I'm when I'm not in those kind of moments of like pure elation with the game. So I am gonna finish it because again, the story is good, the combat is good. It's just. It, the pacing when it comes to the moment to moment stuff it needs it, it, they could have they could have done a lot there with with uh with some editing uh, i think and and they just didn't do that so uh mm-hmm. but yeah how about you i know you beat it yeah i finished it up uh i finished it in about 17 hours which was a little yeah. bit longer than i was expecting because i was trying to really mainline it i didn't really touch any of those side missions and they were whoring themselves to me at every corner man literally every corner of the street yeah like, damn really. This kid wants vegetables. This guy bumped his head. This guy's got a concussion. They're arguing like everybody wanted me, dude. <laughs> that dog, a dog. Oh, my God, man. So it, I was swatting every side story off as quickly as I could because I was, you know, I, I like when I get to that momentum phase with these kinds of games, with their storytelling, it, I can't turn back. I can't. I just it's impossible. So I will say that I got a little bit exhausted of the game and I've kind of been battling with myself whether it's because I'm kind of running into Yakuza fatigue because I've been at this since 2005 or whatever or if it's just because this game didn't really do it for me as much as I hoped um I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle there because I think the formula to me is just it's the same game after game uh and I, I enjoy it obviously or else I wouldn't have bought this game in the first place but I do think that I was I was hoping for a little bit more from this game because it's in a different place and it's because it's you know um different characters you know so it's got a little bit more liberty to kind of go crazy a bit more and try some new things out and i i feel like it just kind of stuck to what works and just gave it to you in a different era and that's fine i i enjoyed it fine but i guess that's my takeaways i just i enjoyed it fine it was okay um the story for me, I think, without getting into spoiler territory, it leans on one particular element of storytelling, which is like name switches. Um, and I don't know how far along you are, Pablo, so I'm going to not go too far into it, but it comes up a lot. <laughs> like, it's a bit, it, it's like a weirdly prominent plot device in this game for some reason. Like, all the way up to the, like, the post-credits cutscene. I'm like, oh my god, another name change. So, like, it, it's, it gets really ridiculous with that as, like, this mechanism for, like, a bait-and-switch, or, like, yeah. there's two of one person's name roaming around, and a bunch of other stuff I won't get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But... I, I, I just I, I found it to be obnoxious after thing. a while, dude. It's like, uh, there's, there's no, no way that they explained it um, to me made enough sense to justify doing it for those characters motivations if if you get what i mean like it just felt no, like no. okay i get what you meant but that's still like there's 15 other ways to do what you wanted to do without like i'm gonna take your name you know what i mean like so it's just it's a really goofy idea man. It, the whole imposter stuff yeah i i 
And I also think that the, the one of the main conceits of the game, without without not giving too much away, and this is slight spoilers, is also infiltrating and posing as something that you're not. And that that uh, logic of that sometimes gets really, really like out of whack. Like like Ryu is is or or Ryoma is kind of like. Huh? Like he gets worried about something he shouldn't get worried, like right in front of all the officers. Like, bro, you're giving away your position. Like, it just, yeah. it's just a lot of little stuff like that where it's like, ah, come on, man, you can do a little better job than this. And how do these guys not know what's happening? And yeah. even if it's like a bait and switch at the end, it's kind of like, come on. It, it just, there's a little stuff like that that once the game starts uh, grading on you in other ways, you start picking apart the stuff that works because it's all that's left. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's the game because I I played Judgment, uh, Lost Judgment. I played the 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 story DLC and I loved every minute of that game. I love the and this also to be clear, people listening, I'm a, I love the sub stories of Yakuza. I, I don't think Marco is as big as a fan as I am in them. No, I I, I love them. I think they're uh, I think they're really good respite from some of the story stuff that sometimes happens in those games. But this is just generally not good for me. This ain't this ain't it for me, dog. Uh, but. In terms of everything else, I'm 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 fan of the series. I'm still in love with the series. I, I still can't wait for the next uh, Yakuza to come out. I just think it's the game. I, I just think that uh, we we've gone so far and we've we've kind of crossed that threshold in terms of the quality of the game and the story and the writing that we're we're kind of going back in time to 2014 to play a game that's already been made. And so maybe that isn't exactly driving with us here. We're seeing the the maybe. cracks that used to belong that used to be in the series that are no longer there with the new game so but regardless i i, I think that this is uh i think this is a must play for uh, fans of the series uh, I and too. i am enjoying yeah. and yeah. i am enjoying it for for what it's worth yeah what i will say to close is that i think this series lives by its story and dies by its story 100%. and so if if the reward of all the build-up and suspense and mystery falls flat around the halfway point of the game then everything else kind of comes crashing down around with it. And then you, you go from looking forward to every story beat to, I just kind of want to get over this game now and get done with it. You know, and I think that's yeah. ultimately where <clears throat> where I got with it. Where it's, it's not like I had another game I was trying to play. I was trying to rush through it to get to right, something right, else. Right. It was just like, I kind of figure out what's going on. I know what you're trying to do, and I'm not buying it, but whatever. I'll see it through, but... You know, I kind of knew it at at a certain point it wasn't going to crack, you know, top five for me. It sucks because the starting of that game to me set up a really cool premise. And I'm like, oh, this could be interesting. It yeah. just didn't deliver uh, all the way, uh, at least. So still a game I think I was I was glad to play. I probably should have waited until it went on sale. Um, but nevertheless, it's still out there. And I, th I think if you're if you're a fan of the series, it's still worth trying out. Um, I think we're making it sound worse than what it is, uh, what it actually is. But um well, the, because we just have we hold the series in such a regard that anytime something happens where it just might not be as good as what we're expecting mm -hmm. is definitely it's going to come across that way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so the last game I got on my uh, my loadouts list this week is a bit of a curveball because uh, I ain't got nothing to play. So I kind of went back and I looked through you know my my back catalog and just kind of those games that where it's like, you know, I feel like there's unfinished business there or that um, I feel like it's a gap in my gaming. And one game that always gets romanticized a lot is Prey. Um, you know, Arcane Studios. It's one of Pablo's favorites. I've had a very, oh, yeah. very rocky, tumultuous relationship with their games. And Prey for me doesn't do a lot 
um, for me um, on the surface, which is weird because you think so based on my tastes. It's sci-fi. It's kind of an immersive sim kind of experience. It should check enough boxes for me, but for whatever reason, it never clicked. And I think it was because of, you know, like the first person melee stuff and those little uh, whatever they call them, mimics, those little spider-looking mimics that yeah, you're running yeah, around. Yeah. Like, that just didn't feel like a fun time, uh, even though the world was interesting. Um, but, you know, I decided I wanted to come back around to it again, give it a little bit more TLC, give it more attention. Um, I actually turned the game down to easy because I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to challenge myself in any way, shape, or form with this game. I'm more so just playing to see if there's something I can grab onto here. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe it'll be uh kind of like a you know my my backlog saga this year uh for the next few episodes perhaps, I don't know, but I'm going to commit myself to the attempt to finish this game uh for the yeah. very first time. And hopefully I'll come away feeling the way that Pablo feels and a lot of other people do. Yeah, I mean, one one of the main things about that game that really hurt it uh, was when it released really really buggy and we had a game breaking bug that wouldn't let people uh, pass certain areas. I think AGN gave it a four, and they gave it eight once they patched that uh, fix. And then the end, there's a lot of traveling between stations, and the load times were fucking abysmal. So hopefully with the Xbox Series X, the power of that and everything else, and now now you have a, a finely tuned game, that you won't run into the the, the main issues that the game had uh, when they first released. So I'm excited to see how how it turned out for you because I think that game is incredibly underrated. Yeah, and it is just one hell of a time. I I I think about that game often because just the. the the ambiance of the game just mm-hmm. kind of like f- that feeling of playing that game where i was and, and how that feel i just i, I do like want that. that i do like yeah. that a lot um yeah. i love yeah. that about yeah. it but yeah but yeah um, i think i think that the also the fps boost and the auto hdr boost from oh, the right, series right, right. x will well, make a yeah. big difference too because back then it felt very you know clunky for me and slow so this 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 should help out a good bit to you yeah. know make it feel more modern you know what i mean yeah but uh we'll see how it goes i will report back uh with an update on that um and let all of you know whether prey finally got me or if it didn't but uh in the meantime that is going to do it for loadouts this week pablo it is time to jump into the news segment of the show that we call hit points for breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, so we have four Hit Point news items this week, Pablo. I will go ahead and jump in with the first item, because I want to get your thoughts about this one. Phil Spencer, mm. Pablo, is back on the media circuit once again, starting with an interview with Xbox On. He discussed a variety of topics, including how he's been keeping an eye on Fable and Hellblade 2, while also revealing that he consulted Shinji Mikami on how to crack Japan. Then he went on to discuss, you guessed it, the ABK deal. Uh, As expected, he discussed wanting Call of Duty on all platforms and assured that Activision Blizzard um, is a piece of the puzzle that will help Xbox feel like more than just a console. But that's not the interesting part, Pablo. When the discussion turned to Starfield... Phil started giving a roundabout answer as to why it was no longer being developed on PlayStation or other consoles, stating that Starfield isn't a large franchise, so it can't be counted as, quote, taken away from other consoles. Um, so, Pablo, I think there's a couple ways to crack this, this 
this topic here. I think first, looking at what he said contextually, are we getting tired of Microsoft downplaying everything, including Starfield now? Um, and more importantly, what's up with Phil Spencer lately? Uh, is he yeah. is he as believable as he used to be? Is something off about him? I want you to unpack this with me. What do you, what do you think yeah. here? Something is off with Phil, but it has nothing to do with him as an executive. It's just that he's been putting this—he's been put in this position where he has to protect the ABK deal at all costs. That—that—that's a demand that looks like that's on his shoulders right now, and so unfortunately. Uh, he is seemingly downplaying everything because he doesn't want to be like, yeah, Starfield's going to be the next big thing, bitch, and it's on consoles and it's our consoles because that's the whole kind of uh, the that's the kind of shitty and 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 hypocritical, but yet it's a thing that's happening. Uh, kind of Sony that they're putting in the uh, into the um, into the FTC's ear, like, hey. This is this Xbox's way of of monopolizing the industry is by having all the big franchises on there, including Call of Duty, the biggest one yet, and Starfield is gonna be massive. Like they're <laughs> they're playing that end, and so Xbox is is downplaying their uh downplaying on theirs. I I think it it, it sucks for us who are people who are hyper uh, aware of these kind of things, and we see these. Uh, these people talk the way they've never talked before and it just feels completely horrible and 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 just like disingenuous and it kind of does a lot of damage to his reputation because he's known to be this guy who's like on the forefront of xbox who's always going to tell you how it is and and be very open about the industry and now he feels like just another executive kind of downplaying shit because it's it's detrimental to their entire kind of um narrative right now uh and yeah does suck like like the whole excuse about place starfield not being on playstation because it's not a big franchise that's complete bogus bullshit it's a bethesda game it's the next it's their is their newest ip in 25 years is is the most one of the most anticipated rpgs of the recent memory like you can't tell me what star and then you get into the wordplay like oh because it's not out yet of course it's not big yeah whatever cute that's not it's it's all bullshit at this point and it really honestly it's a little it sucks because again you have sony hyping shit up you got xbox downplaying the truth is somewhere in the middle and nobody seems genuine anymore and that's at least what we hung our as me as an xbox fan that's at least what i hung my hat uh my hat on phil spencer being genuine being truthful he's said many truths about the uh about the industry that people only think about in his position but he's actually said it and it's kind of it's kind of shitty man it's kind of lame i don't think anything is wrong with him as a person i just i just think that he's unfortunately been put just kind of like uh like uh ryan and sony where uh, he's probably not a shitty dude but he's put he's been put in a position where he has to be an antagonist to the deal and and then now phil has to play the other part of being the the guy who's going to downplay this trying to get this to go through here's my wish i hope that the abk deal goes through which is it seems to that's about to happen and then phil gets on a podcast and be like now nah, i was just fucking with all y'all with this shit <laughs> starfield starts naming call of duty exclusive starfield exclusive because <laughs> what's he gonna say when Elder Scrolls 6 comes around and it's exclusive. Uh, it's just not a big enough franchise because we haven't seen it in 55 years. Okay, maybe. But, like, it's it's ridiculous. It, we're, we got to a point where now we're just telling lies. We're just telling lies, and that sucks. <laughs> All right. Let, let, me, let me kind of... I might get a little bit personal here, but not too personal. I don't know the guy, so I'm not going to be yeah, able to yeah, go, yeah, yeah. you know, in-depth into his character or his psyche. But let me say this. Phil Spencer is not himself right now. He's not himself. 
Uh, if if you go on YouTube right now, listeners, and you find Phil Spencer interview Xbox on, okay, and you watch the first two, two and a half minutes, I want you to just simply watch his body language. Nothing else. He looks like he is burned out. He looks like he's exhausted. He looks like he's distracted. He looks like he's a little irritated. Um, as if he doesn't really want to have to sit down and do another interview talking about this topic again. <laughs> I mean, when when the girl introduced him, he's sitting in the chair, right? And we're going to make it our, our, uh, our cover art for this episode. Not to mock him, but just to kind of show the point. He's just sitting there. He's got his eyes closed, and he's just smiling. Like, t- head tilted back like, like he just took a sip of, like, really good beer. Ugh. <sighs> And then she makes this, and then she makes this like kind of half joke about him. He's like, she's like, um, you know. And before we get started with the interview, Phil Spencer told us that he wants you to subscribe to Xbox On, yeah. and you can find us. And while she's doing the whole like you can find us, blah 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 stuff, like we do, they cut to Phil Spencer, right? And this motherfucker is turned around, giving this woman the death stare. Like, I didn't tell you I said that shit. And and literally, they they keep the camera on him for like 10, 15 seconds, and he's just turning around, mouth open, looking at her like, <laughs> "You motherfucker," right? So it, this is not typ- this is not typical Phil. I, I and, and a lot of people aren't going to go that granular. I don't care. That's my observation of him. They got to get Phil off the fucking camera. Get him home. He's had enough. <laughs> he's tapping out without tapping out, man. That guy looks tired. He looks off. Even the way he's explaining things, like the Phil Spencer a year ago today would have killed that interview. He would have murdered that. He would have answered those questions incredibly well. This Phil Spencer is talking in circles. Um, yeah. he, you can tell where his insecurities are with the questions because the Fable stuff, the Hellblade stuff, the Shinji stuff, the Call of Duty stuff, he's, he's got that written in his head already. But when it got to Starfield, boy, did he sound rickety. That sounded, yeah. that sounded off. Um, now, to, to, to the point of you know, what I think about what he said there with Starfield, I think it's inherently absurd. Um, it, it, unless you're going to tell me Xbox has low, low projections for Starfield, then yeah. what he said is absolute horseshit. And, 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 that kind of, and that kind of brings a reality here of like, um, he's not really talking to the gaming community in this interview. He's talking to somebody else. He's talking to stakeholders. He's talking to these commissions. He's, he's, he's really just saying what needs to be said so that he's on record of saying something. Yeah. He's not really talking to the gaming community y'all. And so I think when you realize that, when you can read between the lines and go, okay, this, this interview is not for us. This is not to enlighten me. This is not to tell me what's really going on. This is to say things a certain way to get the green lights that he needs. I think that is what really drove me up the wall about this interview. And I'm, and I don't think we need more of this to be honest. Um, if we're hitting home stretch with this, with this deal and it's going to go through because of the concessions and the contract he made with Nintendo and NVIDIA, more power to him. Just get him off interviews now enough. 
And and I think your point, like a year ago, he would have murdered this because a year ago he would have been talking about things he's more passionate about. Like when he talked, when he, when she asked him what he's playing and he's talking about the games he's playing, you can tell that that's a little bit different of a vibe there. Like he's like a little bit more interested in those conversations. He's he's you know talking about those games like oh yeah, I love Vampire Survivor, like all that stuff. But then everything else is kind of like going back down to like you said talking in circles. I he just there's a mandate here and he's the head of Xbox and unfortunately he's been put in a position where he has to defend this because of uh, of the outside influences that are happening I, you know it's 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 been a weird time i, I think one of the things that I, we don't have to cut anybody slack but i think that um when you look at what phil has had to go go through not even with the sony stuff what's sony gonna do of course they're gonna fight it that's what they're the opposing companies of course they were. it's how the ftc has behaved and, and how certain things have come about and surprises here and there that nobody was really expecting uh just mm. because somebody decided to to to, to be a hero uh, in, F- in the FTC. So, like, it's, it's just one of those things where um, unexpected things have, uh, have yielded unexpected results, and one of them is, is seeing Phil not be Phil. So that's unfortunate for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the body language is just wrong. It doesn't look good. It looks weird. Yeah. He looks awkward. He looks like a weirdo. <laughs> like, and he's not that guy. Yeah. But you can't... You, Doug, you can't sit in the chair, death stare your, your, your host, and roll your eyes in the back of your head and smile on camera like that for no I fucking mean, reason. It's, it just looked, if you're going to do it, it looked drunk, <laughs> but if you're going to do it, exactly. Have a cocktail in your hand and smoking a cigarette. And, and, you then, might as and well. then I'd be like, and then I'd be like, that's a vibe. That's what I would say. Yeah. Do it at a, <laughs> do it at a fucking hookah lounge. If you have to, I don't care. Yeah, but just don't, like, all right. Phil, don't, don't sit him down for like, this. Like feels the vibe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't sit him down for the like stiff, like a stiff interview. If he just wants to be relaxed and high as shit. Cause he looked like he was, he was hey, he was high he on the kite, did. man. He, he was high on life. life, if you know what I mean. But you know, if you want to stick with that, Marco, we let's, have let's do more that. Xbox stuff yes. here. Uh, kind of uh, going more in a deep dive in, in terms of what uh, Phil Howitt was saying, and that's uh, Andy Robinson from the VGC Video Game Chronicles podcast and website has reported that Avowed and Hell- Hellblade Two are the next games in the queue after Starfield. Meanwhile, Fable. Uh, which has been talked about for years, has only recently went into full production, while Perfect Dark and Everwild are seemingly, uh, reportedly, quote, not close, end quote, at this time. What do we think about Xbox Pipeline? If true, what stands out? Marco, what do you think? Um, so this is a pretty interesting one because it's kind of what I expected in a way, but it's also deflating because it's kind of what i expected right like the troubled projects are clearly troubled and the projects that seem to be fine are are next up like i think it's it it kind of proves that a lot of the headlines we've heard about fable running into problems perfect dark running into problems everwild being up in the air like if this is true then that validates a lot of that stuff and i think this is true um this just shows that you know, and I hate to be a negative Nancy about Xbox for yet another episode because I love Xbox, but their pipe their pipeline is fucked up. It's just it is royally fucked up. Um, hmm. They announced a lot of these things way too soon. I think that's another huge takeaway is they have to be more deliberate about when they reveal they are working on certain games. Um, I understand that in the modern gaming industry, a lot of times games get announced early in order to kind of recruit talent to work on the game so i understand it from that perspective but 
from a gamer standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, um, announcing those games, that being Fable, Perfect Dark, and Everwild, this or, or that early is just ridiculous. Um, and so they have to do a better job of that in the future um, because now they're going to be answering the where is Fable for probably another two years and where is Perfect Dark for probably another two or three you know, and and if Xbox is sick of those questions, then they've got to stop, you know, announcing things as early as they are. So I think this order makes sense. I'm most curious about Avowed. I'm I'm really, I'm really wondering where where they're going with that game as far as its angle because it seems like it could be a redundancy when you have the Elder Scrolls in your portfolio. Although that's not coming out anytime soon, it's still kind of a portfolio redundancy. So I hope that that's a unique enough difference from Elder Scrolls. Um, and I, from what I've heard, I think it is. But I'm most curious about that one because that one can be right in my alley. But yeah. other than that, I think this all just reads as like, yep, this this sounds about right. Yeah. Typical Xbox I'll- here. Yeah, I, but when it comes to redundancies, I wouldn't worry too much about that personally, just because literally PlayStation's entire first party uh, catalog is the, the third person action adventure game, you know, uh, so if redundancy was really an issue, then they would be fucked and they're not because those all those games are pretty much amazing. But um, here's the thing, though, I, I, I will say, Marco, and I know you say you want to be negative Nancy, so I'll, I'm going the opposite way here uh, in that. I think that Xbox has put themselves in a position to where media, people like us, video game fans, Twitter pundits, YouTube people, uh, have. it's easier to be negative and easier to just focus on the negative. But I think when you look at what Xbox has when it comes to first party, they have more than, than games like... Um, uh, like Fable and games like Everwild. Uh, l- when you go down the line, you know, uh, we have In Exile, who has a, 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 a massive RPG coming out soon. You have Machine Games and Indiana Jones coming out soon and possibly uh, uh, Ka- uh, Wolfenstein. You have Undead Labs w- with their game. You have Double Fine. You have id Software with possibly a sequel to Doom, which I know you're not a fan of, but, you know, those games are are, are, are pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff down the pike here that, that, that are, is going to fill these holes. It's just unfortunate that games like Fable that they've been talking about for such a long time, to your point, uh, are, are just going into full production i think and then obviously perfect dark not being close even though that's been announced for a while and then everwild had that restart over at rare that nobody's really talked about but i I don't think that it's dire straight i i don't think that there's nothing coming i think a lot of the the, and that's not what you said at all but uh, i think a lot of the, the the conversations on twitter is like oh xbox still has no games and it's not true it's just xbox the games that they've been focused on and the games that they've decided are their pillars have not done well or are not ready um, you know, we still got gears coming down eventually. So there's a lot of good stuff that Xbox has. Uh, and I think we're going to start seeing the fruits of that, of those labors, um, fairly soon. Uh, and I think that w- they'll be okay, but it is still disappointing. And it is, it, it still bears to call out when a game like fable that's had a trailer that's had conversations about this game's going to be this, that, and this, a lot of promises being made and they just went into full production. Like what the hell were you talking about then? You guys were talking about nothing like mm-hmm. concepts. You guys were passing off concepts as, what the game is that's wild that's crazy uh and that's the kind of shit that xbox has to kind of be better at uh, to your point because they have they they should start leaning on 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 other things uh even though you know compulsion games is uh with 
did we happy few that game isn't very good but for all intents and purposes there's some talent there and if they really want games to fill the in-betweens of their massive projects they should start leaning more into those into those studios double fine see what they got going on uh just to fill that in because honestly um those conversations when those games come out they're going to dominate the video game uh world so but but to, to be honest with you, games coming down the pike, they, they have they have stuff coming down, and it's not it's not complete disaster here, at least not yet. Um, now, when you start telling me uh, all these games, like if if like Hellblade Two is, uh, is if there's nothing in fall of 2023, that's concerning. I was just you gonna know? ask you about that. Uh, yeah, yeah th- that's concerning. I, I, I one of these games, Indiana Jones, in Exiles RPG, Compulsion game, something has to come out if it isn't Hellblade or Avowed that has to really uh, hit because. The, it, it's just it, it it can't we can't have a 2023 even though it'll be up, uploaded front loaded with some good stuff they have to end that year uh strong they just have to it, it is that's that's just the fact of of the industry that's what they have to do yeah well i think one way or another i think hopefully this is a lesson learned for them so that once these mm-hmm. games are off the pipeline and out that moving forward afterwards, they don't keep running into the same problem of let's announce this four years before it's ready. And, you know, like maybe yeah, they'll learn from it, you know? And that, maybe they have, maybe that's why they haven't announced an exiles game or a compulsions game or, or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like what they did with, um, uh, with, uh, obsidian, the game that came out last year. That was like that, uh, that RD, that artsy game. I forgot. Oh, Pentiment. Yeah, Pentiment. They, they they got announced and it came out a couple of months after. Like it wasn't it was rumored for a while, but it didn't get officially announced until like uh E three and then came out a couple of months later. Like maybe they did learn their lesson and it's just kind of they have to kind of keep this stuff going because they've already announced these games so so far back. But Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh, let's move on to kind of like a different subject matter here. Something a little bit more um you know, I think a little more serious, something that's worth having a conversation about. Yeah. And that's Joe, the famous, the infamous, the swagged out Yoshi P doesn't want Final Fantasy 16 to be called a JRPG. When asked if he thought that the JRPG genre has advanced, Yoshi P stated that his team does not develop games with the thought process that they are quote unquote JRPGs, just RPGs. He went on to outline that Japanese developers have felt co- uh, compartmentalized and even offended by the term, saying there was a time when this term first appeared 15 years ago, and for us as developers, the first game we heard it, uh, the first time we heard it, it was like discriminatory term. How do we feel about this, Yoshi P? How do you feel about Yoshi P? Does he have a point? Is this something? Is he off base? Like, there's a lot of stuff. It's a very loaded. Um, question but yeah uh, it's, it's a question that i present to you marco what do you think yeah this is super loaded because i don't want to sound you know insensitive with my answer but my answer is probably going to be a little spicier than i'm trying to make it sound because i'm very much you know i'm sensitive to racism and what people perceive as being racist and i try to respect the fact that that's a feeling that people have mm-hmm. um so i'm not here to necessarily tell anybody that Yoshi P is wrong for feeling the way he feels. I'm not Japanese. I've never made a JRPG a day in my life. I don't know what that experience means. I can only speak from a consumer standpoint and speak about it from a product standpoint. Um, I think from a product standpoint, the sick, sad truth is that JRPGs are called JRPGs because they do a lot of JRPG ass shit. Okay? And and I mean, 
there's there's the there's the good, bad, and ugly to that, right? The good is you know you get a lot of really cool art styles. It's very you know uh, colorful. There's a lot of vibrant is a lot of vibrant nature to the games and so on. Um, they're very whimsical. The bad is they can be very tropey. A lot of the same plot devices can get reused. Um, translations can be a bit hit or miss. Voice acting can be off, especially, you know, English voice acting. And then there's the ugly, right? There's the squealy girls and overly Japanese style, like pink hair and, you know, like, like fucking animes, right? And then there's the ugly of like, you know, and I hate to throw this in their faces, but like a lot of games are a little creepy when it comes to like minors and stuff like that. Like I've played some games where it's like they try to create these characters that look like teenagers that are clearly underage, but they do this thing with the story where they make them like, well, they're actually 80 years old so that you can kind of like, I guess they can crush on them like guilt free or something like that. Like 13 Sentinels yeah. is the like the top of the top example of that where it's like Gross. these these kids are like uh, they're actually not kids they're clones and they've been around forever and they just so happen to get in their mechs and be naked and it's like dude this is fucking garbage this is gross and i'm sorry to say that but like that's a japanese rpg trope i mean it might not be what yoshi p does obviously final fantasy 16 looks very unique looks very uh, you know, genre breaking in a lot of ways to say the absolute least. Um, but the genre itself, I mean, they are Japanese RPGs and I know that's going to sound, I don't, I'm not trying to sound dismissive, but these games do have a certain template that Western yeah. RPGs don't have, or that European RPGs don't have. It's just, it's just kind of what it is. So I, I understand they don't want to be compartmentalized, but I also have to say, maybe you guys compartmentalize yourselves by making these games the way that you make them. You know. So uh, again, touchy. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't think you should say it's racist. I can only speak on the games, and that's what I think of the games. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, perception is reality, and 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 I think uh, when you have a whole bunch of white people. Or just non-Japanese people at that, you know, uh, saying this game is a Japanese RPG. I could understand how he feels like, no, we just make RPGs. Like, you know, it's like if it's like a, a somebody in Puerto Rico developed a game, uh, and then somebody calls it Puerto a Rican RPG. PRPG. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I get it. I get it. But I, I, when it comes to us as as consumers of the product, when I think of a JRPG, I think of a JRPG the same way I think about a CRPG. CRPG, a computer RPG game, a game that is usually on the computer, like a game like Disco Elysium. That's a CRPG. When I think about a JRPG, I don't think about a specific genre in terms of uh, of like. Uh, of um of RPG, I just think about the 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 Japanese of it all. I like the very anime inspired uh, tropes, the very over the top uh, storytelling, and I don't even say that to be negative because you know a lot of those stuff, a lot of that stuff works for me. Now, obviously, there's a sec over sexualization, and that is across the board in a lot of Japanese uh, yeah. product in terms of their uh, you know video games, uh, manga and whatever. So there's a lot of that. So I, but I, I don't think, I don't think that when people talk about JRPGs, especially me and Marco, just cause 
well, we know each other. I don't think we ever talked about JRPG in a derogatory term, like, uh, that's just a JRPG, because there's a there was a thought process when a JRPG people called it a JRPG because they might have thought it wasn't as good as a regular RPG. You know what I mean? So there, there's that. But ultimately, for me, I just feel like the term JRPG for me always just been an RPG game made in Japan. Uh, and the reason why that is different from calling it, a, you know, why that that area of origin in terms of why specific in in, in front of the role playing game verbiage is because of the very there's very few cultures that have something that stands out about them, especially when they in, in media, uh, and they've created an entire genre of of animation uh, an entire genre of storytelling when it comes to those things and they've made and they've poured that into their games and so you know persona that's a jrpg man that's a jrpg j as that's a jrpg <laughs> as jrpg like that's the kind of stuff that we say on the show it's because it has those tropes it has those things very prevalent throughout like yakuza yakuza are technically rpgs but they're like they're very japanese in that way mm-hmm. and then uh, it's just certain things that can only be done in japan or, or certain ideas or certain things that are specific to the culture of japan so that's why when i call jrpg that's why i call it now i think one of the things joshi p was trying to also say is like he's not making a rpg to begin with or a jrpg so he doesn't want to be called a jrpg uh, either he does he wants this to be a more of an inclusive uh, genre when it comes to ta- his rp uh, uh, final fantasy uh i get that but you know um but yeah, it's just when we talk about RPGs, JRPGs, I've never thought think about them in a derogatory form. It's just, hey, this was made in Japan, and this has a lot of Japan ideas and a lot of Japan tropes, and so it's a JRPG. So, but again, I, I, for him saying that, I think he can say it. I think if he feels that way, I, 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 there's nothing that we can do to take that away from him. His perception is his reality, and I think that's and I think we have to respect that. And I think if uh, if I can help it, I, I'll try not to call it that game a JRPG. Uh, uh, but ultimately, for me, it's never been a thing about being. Uh, it's never been a thing about it being derogatory or racist or I felt I call it a JRPG because it's less than or something like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That's I mean, I if anything, they were the cream of the crop for for a lot of years. Yeah, um, the, the heyday of JRPGs years. were huge, and it was almost like a, a badge to me. I, obviously, I'm not Japanese, so I can't tell them how they should feel. But it, it was like a badge of honor. For on the on the American side of like yeah, but you, if you've ever played a JRPG before, those are totally different. They they got more story, they're longer, they have more extensive battle systems. Whereas we were kind of behind um, yeah. once upon a time. We were just making beat 'em up games on the PlayStation, and here comes Square. Like nah, here's what we do. You know, so it was almost like the gold standard for a while. Um, so and I, even and that's what made me confused about still. the that's what made me confused about his his thing about like when the term first appeared 15 years ago. It was around a lot longer than that. Well, I think he was he was um, he was referring to a situation with a Phil Fish uh, or something like that. I forgot the whole thing. Where I think uh, Phil Fish mm-hmm. uh, says that Japanese games or JRPGs are main JRPGs just to just to just to separate them from games he makes because. Japanese games suck is literally what he said. Oh, I think Phil um, Fish is that douchey guy. That yeah, no yeah, one he's, likes. he's the one that made Fez uh, by himself, and then he got mad that people didn't love it uh, with all their heart. Uh, so I think he he said 
Japanese games suck, and you can quote me on that. And then he, I think he, 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 he kind of alluded to the reason we call to being snarky JRPGs is because they're just not good enough to be called RPGs. And what so that's guy. what he's, what a guy. And I think that's what, what he's talking about specifically. And definitely, uh, yeah, I I agree. In that sense, in that sense, I definitely agree. But um, even now, when Final Final Fantasy game is announced, there's no RPG. Period. Western Japanese CRPG that can compete with the massive, uh, how massive that uh, that IP is, the mm-hmm. Final Fantasy IP. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what the discourse is like around that. But uh, you know, it, it's it's a thing that's out there. I mean, we do identify a lot of games and, and aspects of game development by their region. Like I know I've heard of a term Eurojank when it comes to games from that region, where they all seem to have. You know, that same sort of weird, clunky control issue. So that was coined as a term. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the way we identify games and genres. But I I, I don't think it, the intention is ever racism. Uh, and if people are using that in a discriminatory way where it's like, well, it's only a stupid waifu-ass J- Japanese art. You know, then it's like, all right, dude, relax. Um, like, yeah. I don't like some of those tropes either, as I clearly mentioned. But like... You know, we can we can chill on making it like an attack, but I I think if anything, to me, it's always been like a, you know, as as such a JRPG fan over the years, it's been like kind of a positive for me because uh, I, yeah. I have a, a soft spot for for RPGs that come from Japan, so that's kind of how yeah, I've yeah. always looked at it. But um, let's go ahead and move on to our fourth and final topic, Pablo. This will be a quick one. From Software has announced that an expansion for Elden Ring is officially in development, called Shadow of the Erd Tree. No specifics about the expansion were revealed, including its scope or release date, but nevertheless, Pablo, is an expansion for Elden Ring a good idea? And if so, what are our hopes? I think so. I think it's a great idea just based off the Old Hunters DLC for Bloodborne that basically it it, it folded another game onto Bloodborne itself. And I think that Elden Ring, the formula of Elden Ring, the world of of Elden Ring is so expansive. It's so beautiful. It's so incredible to play. And taking my character and being able to to play more of it in new areas, potentially, if I'm just going off what the Old Hunters brought, it brought all new locations. Like I think it was two new locations, bosses, weapons, and armor. So you can get all that into this expansion and it is something significant i think that um yeah i think that this is this is amazing i think this is something that they should be doing uh and the reason for it is because i want some time between elden ring and elden ring 2 um i i i don't want the sophomore slump uh of elden ring i i want i want them to come up with ideas that are as revolutionary as the first game uh and if that takes five six seven years fine uh and if they give us a dlc that's pretty expansive to kind of hold us you know to 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 kind of like uh feed the hunger from world in ring i'm good with that man i really am um we're still gonna get the other so- from software games that come out uh but when it comes specifically to elden ring i uh, yeah i want more it's like a final fan it's like um it's like Grand Theft Auto Five. I wish that they did what they did with with four with Ballad of Gay Tony and Lost and Damned. If they consistently just pushed out single player DLCs like that for like five years, dude, that would be amazing for Grand Theft Auto. And I think that I think that Elden Ring could follow something very similar in that way. And I think it would be incredible. I, and honestly, again, I would I'm willing to wait for another Elden Ring. 
Uh, and if it's more than if this is just a one-off good, if there's more to come, I'm good with that as well. What do you think, Marco? I know you might have something a little different. Yeah, I kind of do. I mean, I was I was on board just the way you were for the longest time, but I kind of thought about the question a little deeper, and I realized that I think DLC is starting to become less important than it used to be now. Like, I feel like, and I think there's a couple reasons for it. I think holistically the industry is not um, proficient enough with making a good, bug-free, solid experience to build DLC into their pipeline. Um, So I think a lot of times DLC can feel a bit half-baked more often than not, and I think that the ripple effect of that is that looking through the last maybe 10-15 years, there's really only a handful of expansion story-based DLC that I think actually turned out to be um, as objectively worthwhile as possible. Um, I think you can look at The Witcher, I think you can look at some of that GTA content, and a couple of stragglers here and there, but I think by and large, uh, expansion content of a certain you know magnitude I think is just not really ever been consistent or reliable. So, and I think also in terms of discourse, it's not as sexy as talking about a new game. So I, I not that I think that this, this DLC is going to kind of go under the radar because a game that, that that's as big and left as much of a cultural impact as Elden Ring did, is going to get headlines again. I just think that they are better served from software. That is, um, focusing their manpower on the next game i think that's what makes the biggest impact um i i don't i'm not opposed to them doing the dlc but if i had to choose i'd actually have them make a a, a, you know focus their efforts on a new game i think there's plenty enough there with elden ring to make it good but it seems like their plan is probably going to be let's put out some story content let's there's probably going to be a game of the year edition that comes out at some point later on to kind of resell the game. So it seems more like a a tactic business wise than probably what might be the most, you know, interesting thing as a consumer. Um, So I would prefer the latter to be honest, but I don't hate that it exists and I do hope that it is worthwhile. Um, I'm really curious to see how big of an expansion this is, or if it's just something kind of cool, uh, but small, or if it's just like, Hey, here's five other, you know, bosses that are going to whip the shit out of you. Then I don't really care too much about that. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it's going to be pretty expansive. Uh, Look, if you're going to tell me like, um, well, first to, to kind of, talk a little bit of what you said uh they have two teams i mean the one is working on armor core six and 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 one i guess working on kind of like the elden rings and whatnot uh but i i think that you know we're gonna get from software games regardless it might not be elden ring 2 immediately but if you were to tell me cd project red is going to be making uh expansion story dlc for witcher 4 i'm gonna be on board i'm on board with their with their cyberpunk. Yeah, DLC but that's, that's kind of my out. point, though. There's only a handful of studios that really ever right. deliver. But, but From Software is one of them because the Old Hunters DLC is lauded as one of the, you know, when you look at kind of the top five DLCs, the Old Hunters changed a lot of that game and, and added, like, new locations uh, throughout. Like, it really made it almost feel like a, a, a part two of that game in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah, and I agree. And I think you're right. And, when, and there's also, there's also, just, there's also, uh, information out there when you look at the dlc for 
uh, Breath of the Wild was which trash, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was pretty bad. So like there is there is evidence to show that this that it's not always going to go well. But I agree. I, I think you're right. I think there are a handful of studios that you get excited for, and that's Rockstar, that's uh, CDPR, and I think uh, I think from software with Old Hunters at the very least there is some, and also um, I throw Bethesda and in also there, part three uh, Dark Souls three had a really good one as well. Oh. Um, so that that they're, they they. When they announce this stuff, I think they have something planned that's going to be pretty expansive. So, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We will indeed, man. But let's go ahead and jump into the main event of the episode that we call the checkpoint. It's time for the checkpoint chat. All right, man. So once again, we are coming back with another edition of games that define us. Uh, for those of you who have not heard this segment before, these are. Uh, a handful of games that we have carefully selected that we feel uh, define who we are as gamers. Now, these games are not always the cream of the crop. They're not always the best games you've ever heard of. Some of them are deep cuts. Some of them are cult classics. Some of them are games that you know very well. Uh, but nevertheless, these are games that we played throughout our history that have left an impact on us and who have, that have helped shape us as gamers. So uh, we have a total of five games each that we're going to rattle off, give you a little bit of a backstory about what made those games so special to us personally and what the games were about themselves as well. Uh, and then we'll kind of leave it to you guys to see what you think and, and you know think about if you have any games that define you uh, in the same way that these games define us. Yeah. So, uh, Pablo, I think let's go ahead and get started here. Let's do this round-robin style as per usual, uh, and I'll kick it over to you first. Tell me the first game... That defines you. Yeah, I'm curious to know if, if if you're familiar with this game or if people remember this game. That's Mega Man 64 or I think Mega Man Legends on PlayStation. Uh, it's the same game. I am um, familiar. I played the PlayStation. Yeah. For, uh, I played yeah, Legends. Games yeah. like Ocarina of Time and, and Mario 64 really gave me a sense of adventure. You know, riding with Epona through Hyrule. That means the pinnacle of gaming to me, and a lot of what I look like, look for in games, and I have remember vividly and honestly feeling the same exact way when I played Mega Man sixty four. It's just open world, going to well, open ish, going town yeah. to town, dungeon crawling, the boss fights, all that stuff, picking up quests, and doing it as Mega Man. It, it kind of felt this game came out, if I'm not mistaken, it came out right before or right after Ocarina. I remember it was like really close. And it was one of those things where I um I was absolutely enamored with with this game. Like I just felt like everything that I think of today as a game that I love when I play it can go back to Ocarina of Time and Mega Man 64. Like like I said, towns to visit, quests to accept, uh, to accept people in the town, dungeon crawling, all this stuff that is 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 the reasons why I play games today. Mega Man sixty four had that in 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 in, in spades, and obviously an N sixty four game. It didn't control great. It was wonky as all shit. I I think there's a camp between. I think there's two camps for this game: people who loved it and people who think this game is a fucking embarrassment to the people Mega that prefer the two D games and wanted. That. Yeah, the two D yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of like when you think of it. This think of this game. Think of what um, Sonic Adventures did with that uh, formula as well. Same thing. It's same exact thing. Uh, but for me. I, it was Mega Man that really did it for me in that way where uh, I was either 
it got me into I can't remember if it got me into Ocarina or or in terms of like well that it came out in sixty four uh, at in two thousand one the PlayStation so version yeah. the PlayStation version was ninety eight. Yeah, okay. So that was what it was. It was I played it I played uh I played Ocarina and then I was itching for something else and this reminded uh, me you. the most of that. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me the most of that and I got into it and I loved I loved this game. I I never owned it. I rented it like nine hundred times from Video King. Mm. Uh but yeah, I it was absolutely I love this to, to pieces. Are you a Mega Man uh, fan it, for real, or I don't no, think we've ever talked no. about? It. I was gonna say I don't, the hell no, I'm not a Mega Man fan. I, I played. I, I everybody told me to play Mega Man 10 X. I played Mega Man X. I think that game is awesome. Uh, and I have not ever played any other Mega Man game besides Mega Man 64. Yeah, I'm not a Mega <laughs> Man guy. Um, All right. Uh, so so funny thing is, I would I would tell people about this game, and people think. I was crazy because to that point I played Mega Man X like in the last five or six years or something mm-hmm. like that. So a kid growing up, I'm like, Oh, you played the Mega Man games? Like, yeah, I love Mega Man 64. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not what we're talking about. You yeah. idiot. Uh, yeah. But, you a little yeah. Stupid there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, but I don't care when it comes to how, why I play games today and what I prefer th- Mega Man 64 definitely instilled that in me it reinforced it in me after ocarina time and mario 64 kind of gave me that 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 love of those of that genre mm-hmm. yeah I, I bought that game actually um and i i wasn't a Mega Man fan either and i don't know what made me do yeah. it i just thought it looked interesting because it was 3d and i was like "Ooh, this is cool mm-hmm. it's like evolving and it's not the 2d old stuff anymore so i bought it too and i thought it was all right actually it wasn't that bad um but yeah it Me- Mega Man never did it for it, me though over the overall though if I'm not mistaken, consensus is that Legend is better version than Mega Man 64. I think that's I, the general consensus. I, I would imagine so. I mean, it was really it was really good on PlayStation. I can't lie. Yeah, I just think the control and the and the N64 control just kind of sh- made everything just not run well. Yeah, but yeah. All right. Well, let me go ahead and jump in with my first game that defines me, and that is Onimusha Warlords, Pablo. Um. So I finally got my PlayStation 2 after doing all the begging, doing all the getting good grades thing and <laughs> and asking mom, asking dad, please make this happen for me. I just need I just need the PlayStation 2 and I need Onimusha and I'm set. I don't need anything else. And they took that very literally. I got my PlayStation 2, I got Onimusha Warlords, and I ain't getting no damn memory card. So <laughs> this was my first PS2 game and I literally had to play the game from the beginning, over and over and over again, because I had nothing to save my game, so I had to, I had to get the humble voice on, mom. Uh, so the thing, and you got, if you've ever had to explain the need for a memory card to your parents, that is the hardest shit. And what do you mean you can't save it? You didn't have to do that when you had the the tapes from the that everything the was a tape. damn tape. So I had to explain, no, mom, they did. Oh, that's a rip-up. That's the, I, no, see, you shouldn't have got this. You shouldn't have, I, I should take it back. I'm like, don't, no, don't do that, mom. So finally, I had to haggle her. I had to haggle dad. I'm like, listen, it's only, I think it was like 20 bucks at the time. Of course, only to me. Like, that sets them off even more. Only? I can't mean only. So I got one <laughs> finally, and I was able to actually finish it. But I, I don't think I've ever played a game to date. Uh, from the beginning as many times as I did that one but it is my first PS2 game the game itself is awesome I love that that whole uh, trilogy 
Um, I wish it comes back in some capacity, but man, that that just that defined that era of gaming for me in a nutshell, uh, right off the bat with with that whole story. And just to think, oh, he did all that just to play the Forspoken demo like five hundred times. All right, see on- what? <laughs> <laughs> what you mean Forspoken um, demo? No, no, the Forsaken, the future is Forsaken. I I remember sitting down I in your room you watching you play. Like, what, what, what? No. Playing that Forsaken demo, I'm like, why are you playing oh, this? Oh, that game, this is, that this game was weird. I remember that too. This is stupid. Yeah, yeah. So my game uh, that defined me, second game defined me, is Portal Two. Uh, Portal Two proved to me that writing in video games is for me as important as gameplay. Proof is in the product. An environmental physics-based puzzle game. Then fuck that. I'm not playing that shit. But I, I. For whatever reason, I can't even remember why. I think I got the orange box and it had Portal One, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And this comes out, and I think, oh, and it was cheap. It was at full price as well. I think it was also discounted when it came out. I ended up getting it, and oh my god, like just endearing antagonist, hilarious sidekick, incredible environmental storytelling, all wrapped up in like a near perfect premise. You escape in this 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 prison, uh basically with the promise of cake at the end and just kind of the, how the game opens up and how you're in this room and all of a sudden this little thing comes in and 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 and, and and it's voiced by Stephen Merchant, who's hilarious, and all that stuff is just, I am not a puzzle fan, I've never played The Witness, uh, sorry, Jonathan, whatever your last name is, I, I, these games that are puzzle-based games that people think are amazing, I just never played it, but if the writing was right, I learned that that, it doesn't matter what genre we're talking about, if it's good writing, I'm probably going to enjoy it. And the proof is in here. I mean, this is like, it's exceptional in almost every way. Love this game to pieces. Uh, and I've never gone back to a environmental centric puzzle game ever again. And there's been games like the Entropy Center that came out last year. That is very much a portal kind of clone. Tried that out. Nope. Don't like that. Cause the writing wasn't good. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's all about writing. And I've, as, as, as people who hear this, uh, have heard the show know that when it comes to narrative storytelling, that's my shit. Like it's me and Marco shit. That's how, that's kind of like our bread and butter when it comes to video games. And this, in this game really proved to me that writing is for me as important as gameplay. And so when I go out and looking for a game, it doesn't matter what genre it's in. If it's allotted when it comes to its writing and it's, and it's voice acting and all that production level, all those production levels, levels are high as as portal 2 was i'm in there and i'm probably going to enjoy it so portal 2 for me i'm about to be blasphemous um portal as a series it almost made the cut for the games i respect but i just don't get the franchise okay that's fair um i like them i thought they're fine i i never really thought they were greatness personified or like you know the most brilliant Ooh. stuff we've ever seen in the industry i i've never felt that way i always thought they were really clever well-written and cheeky stories with um you know really in, intuitive gameplay and interesting puzzle solving but i never felt like they were brilliant stuff so there's something that i'm clearly not getting that other people get and i'm not going to hold it yeah, against the series it just it's not didn't really capture me <laughs> so at least you're at least you're not out here saying the the series sucks. You're saying you get your you respect it. You don't get it. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Now, speaking of respecting games, this next game. Let me here. tell you guys something. Marco just <laughs> slightly shitted on Portal Two. Uh, prepare for his next game. I'm about to walk what out. What you my- mean? <laughs> this is a gamer. This is your favorite gamer developer's favorite game. That's what this is. This is this yeah, is yeah. okay. Look, so I bought Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. Um, back in the OG this is games Xbox that define us, not games that you jerked off to as a kid. Jesus Christ! Don't tell my story. All right, <laughs> asshole. I bought this game purely for research purposes, Pablo. I bought it for the <laughs> for the love. I bought it for the research. love of volleyball, for the love of sport and athleticism. Right, me and my boy from uh, high school, uh, JP. Uh, I think he listens to the show still. JP, what's up? Um, We were, you know, look, I ain't going to sit here and pretend it was something different, man. The titties was tittying, bro. All right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. All right? So, look, I liked Dead or Alive. I did, I genuinely, I I did love, I love DOA 3 on Xbox. That was one of my favorite, you know, awesome game. So, I'm like, you know what? It's a volleyball game, you know? And, and with the OG Xbox, you can rip your CDs and you can put custom soundtracks in there. So I put a bunch of new metal bullshit in there. I had POD and Linkin Park music playing while these girls are out here wearing damn near nothing playing volleyball. And I got to be honest with you, man. It was a good-ass game of volleyball. All right? I heard it was a good game. It was a good game. I, I, I And I mean that. I'm not trying to be funny. That was a fun-ass game. The characters were cool. The skill level was there. Like, we had some good back-and-forth battles. And, you know, as you play, you get currency to unlock um, attire. You know what I'm saying? Um, and very, you know, very, you know, like very volleyball league attire. Nothing. Well, whatever. Fuck that shit. It, it was, it was, it was a little... It was a little thirst trappy, okay, is what the kids say. That's what it was. But hey, look, it was me being a, a it was me being a, a high school boy. I don't know what else to tell y'all, man. So this game was just the one where it's like, oh, look at those Johnny's bouncing. Them physics. So yeah, it's on my list. I'm I'm owning up. Listen, I'm 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 being honest today. Pablo's not being honest. Pablo's not being vulnerable like me. All right. <laughs> I'm giving you vulnerability right now. And Pablo's well portal too. All right, he's talking about cake. Man, I'm I don't need no damn things. beach volleyball to get my rocks off. I just saw Ocarina of Time, those, those, uh, the, fairy, the fairies that came out. I was like, ooh, I like that. Ew. <laughs> Ew. All right. See, now you made the show greasy again. All right, go ahead with your next game, man. My next one, I, Marco, tell me if you remember this game or not. Uh, Ninja Blade. Do you remember this game? I don't know what the fuck this game I is. I think if dude. you look it up, you'll, you'll, what you'll be like, oh, yeah. I remember this game. This was an Xbox exclusive, Xbox 360 exclusive, from made by From Software of all people, many many months before, um, uh, before Demon Souls even came out. Mm. The, the Demon Souls came out at the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. This came out at the start, and this was a game that you know Xbox trying to get into the Japanese market, and I think they paid. Uh, from software to make this for them, and they did. It looks like and a Ninja Gaiden ripoff. Yeah, and that's kind of what it was. It was basically a Ninja Gaiden ripoff, and it had a lot of the. It didn't have any. It would be blasphemous to say that it had some of the things that 
made it into Demon Souls and Dark Souls because it didn't have any of that. But it, it definitely was a game that caught me by surprise because I remember that the, every Xbox 360 game had a demo. This demo kind of blew me away. I ended up playing the game. And I just remember really falling in love with just the combat and and the combo based combat and the story being told and these really cool uh these cool cutscenes uh and it's like a really weird you're a ninja in modern times fighting this thing called like alpha an alpha worm which is like people were turning into zombies like it was it's like a re- really weird concept but it really what it did for me as a gamer it's it just kind of uh because at that point i think i was like all about shooters and mass effect those kind of games and then this game comes out and it's like a much more concentrated game in terms of its uh combat like Mm. it's methodical it's 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 my devil may cry because i never really got into devil may cry kind of thing right it really kind of like oh these games can be fun the ninja aspect of it is really dope. Uh, the story aspect is kind of dope. It, it, it has like a lot of things from that I I'm a fan of now, but as a girl, as a kid that didn't grow up with PlayStation, um, really gravitated to the tropes that already existed, like very Resident Evil like story, a lot like um, a lot like Ninja Gaiden, mm-hmm. a lot like Devil May Cry, all come together and kind of formed this 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 uh, this this genre of game that even to today I, I, I adore. Uh, and so it's just one of those things where I remember this game very vividly loving this game and just kind of shaping my, um, kind of shaping the way that I look at games going forward in terms of like, oh, I'm looking for the, that Japanese Devil May Cry game t- type of thing where I never really had that uh, before in my life. All, and obviously, it came from a, a, a studio called From Software, which went on to create some of my favorite games of all time. And this was very early on, mm-hmm. like uh, after Armored Core, but right before uh, Demon Souls. Like it was that same year where that all that shit popped off. So it, it, it's, it, it's like a really, it's a seminal moment in time where I remember Remember this game, remember it being from software, and then all of a sudden from software just blowing up and being this massive uh, company making this really interesting game that people are talking about called Demon's Souls, and everybody forgot about Ninja Blade, uh, which sucks because Xbox, again, was trying to get no luck with, with, with the with the ja- Japanese infiltration, man. Anything they tried, it got thwarted one way or the other, and, and Demon's Souls came in and, 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 and took uh, this game pretty much out of rotation. Yeah, I can honestly say I had no idea this game was a game. Never. And I never yeah. thought this game was, especially from From Software. I had no clue. But hey, yeah. it it's there. But uh, my next game is a game that a lot of people are familiar with, Pablo, and that is Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns yeah. of the Patriots. Now, Pablo's probably wondering how and why is this game on my list? This game defines me, Pablo, because it was the first time that I've ever been gutted in disappointment mm. about a game. That's I've been, a good approach. I've been let down before. Devil May Cry 2, prime example. Disappointing ass game. Not good at all. I've been, you know, and the list goes on and on. But when Metal Gear Solid 4 came out, coming off the heels, people got to remember the time, right? Metal Gear Solid 3 is Metal Gear Solid 3, right? One of the greatest games ever made, hands down. And now, we're coming into the PS3 era. Brand new hardware. Hideo Kojima's cooking at this stage of the game. We're thinking it is about... This game is going to be everything. It's going to be all the things. 
And it came out, and it was the biggest disappointment of that time. And it was the first time I ever got like punched in the mouth by disappointment <laughs> in the way that I did. That game's storytelling is abysmal. It is character assassination after character assassination because at the time, Kojima did not want to keep making Metal Gear games, so he wrote that game in a way where there was it was basically a point of no return. I won't have to make another Metal Gear with Solid Snake if I make him old and I make him hack up his, his lung every five minutes and about to die any second, right? Um <laughs> The whole thing with with Olga's child, old big head kid that was Sonny. Yeah. Oh my God! Like the the, the Drebin with the with his monkey companion. They're both burping up soda during like the most heart wrenching scenes in the game. Um, lots of of weird like sabotage, weird sabotage stuff going on, man. MacGuffins everywhere, bait and switches everywhere. Those four beasts, the women that were dressed up in like mech suits and stuff, and then when you win, they they're like naked and like laying prone, like fetal on the ground and stuff, and you can take pictures of them. Which fucking Kojima was on crack cocaine, bro. And so the whole (laughs) game was just like, oh, Kojima is a hoe. He might be a hoe. And, and he later confirmed that in future years. But, like, this is just the point where, like, it really fell off the cliff with, with this guy, in my opinion. And I know a lot of people, especially some people who listen to the show, are look at MGS4 very fondly a lot of times because it was their first game in the series. But it is the worst game in the series to me. And, and because of how bad it was, it did define my gaming uh, you know, in that it started making me paranoid about the franchises that I love. And that would be fulfilled, you know, in the future with like the Final Fantasy 13s that came out and, and wet the bed and, you know, watching Dragon Age uh, shit the bed and um, things like that for, from years to come where my favorite franchises, my heroes were bleeding. And it was like, damn, I think MGS4 was like that that starting point for all that. So for bad reasons, it's a game that defined me, man. Wow. That's fair. I like that approach. Uh, I uh, didn't do that, but that's a good idea for uh, upcoming. If we ever do this again, that's a good approach there. But my next game is Max Payne Three. Max Payne Three, a game that honestly, I love like those neo noir detective ass games, mm-hmm. and this was one of the first ones that nailed the way that I feel about those films, the Neonor films and, and, and the old films with Cagney and all that, Neonor into Max Payne 3, unexpected, and it really just kind of, it, it's, it's, it was amazing. And then it, it maybe something that I didn't appreciate as much when it first came out, but replaying it recently really uh, kind of revitalized how I felt about that even then, where it's just kind of one of those things where this game is like, quote, city, it, it's, it, it's just... It's it's Max Payne talking to himself and just saying the most poetic, dumbest shit you've ever heard in your whole entire life. Diatribes, self-loathing, and it's all and it's all in the backdrop of this dark city and then this bright paradise in Brazil. Like they 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 not only managed to 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 pull off a neo noir film, they also managed to fit uh, to pull off the neo noir feeling while being in a tropical back set, which is really hard to do. There's films, many films that 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 struggle with doing that, with being a neo noir film in spirit, but being in setting somewhere that's not a dark and gray uh, New York City type of thing. I mean, look, it's just one of those things where 
when it, again, and this is kind of like a theme here, when it comes to the writing of a game, if you're doing your job there, everything else is just is going to fall into place. And then obviously Max Payne 3, its gameplay is outstanding, made by Rockstar, kind of a surprise there, not Remedy any longer. Uh, and it, it still, it, it had a lot of things that could have not worked for it. And then when it came out, it's my favorite Max Payne game, Bart. I mean, it's not even close, yeah. in my opinion. I, I, Max Payne 2 is very good, but 3 really kind of solidified the series as one of the best series in, in, for me when it comes to storytelling, character progression, and how the game is not afraid to have Max be heroic, but also never really grow <laughs> as a person. So, and, and, and I love that stuff. Like, uh, you know, and, and like the quotes, like I have one here, like I wrote down, I was like, a barely recovering alcoholic and unarmed, an unarmed pregnant when we were hardly a SEAL team. Like little things like that, that he says in his head, like it's, it's, it's just, it's like it's so perfect. It, it's yeah. it, it's wonderful, man. This game is 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 amazing. I love it to, to pieces, and it's a game that definitely uh, it's a game that defined me in a way where I I I crave games like this. It, it's mm-hmm. it, these these games trump any kind of other game out there when it comes to to its storytelling, its premise, its gameplay all coming together. I like a lot like how I felt with um with uh, Portal and, and Mega Man and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, Max Payne three. It's one of my favorite games of all time. It's probably like ninth or tenth right now on my list, yeah. personally. So yeah, I mean, I think what what did it for me was also how believable those characters were. They weren't just like over mm-hmm. the top for the sake of being over the top. Like you can you you listen to them, and you're like, I can see somebody yeah. being just like that in real life. Rockstar's always been good at that. Um, yeah. So yeah, gotta gotta give credit to that game. Uh, one of the best ever, in my opinion. Um, up next for me. Jet Set Radio Future. Um, this is, uh, you know, a game that released on Xbox uh, back in the OG days. And one of the few things that I actually liked about the Dreamcast era, which I know is already a spicy take right there, but we'll get to that next week. Um, but <laughs> one of the bright spots was Jet Set Radio as a series. I love the style of that series. I love the, the attitude of that series. I thought it was such a cool idea to take skating in a different direction, add graffiti and this, you know, this over the top, like hip hop culture, this very music driven game has so much charm, so much personality. And when Jet Set Radio Future came out, which was the sequel, um, it, to me, was incredible. I think it delivered on all fronts. It was such a fun time, um, and it built uh, on what the original game did so well and expanded on it and, and made it even cooler because their take on the future was so interesting and so uh, you know unique to check out that it every nook and cranny of that, of that little city was just the coolest. And um, I have a lot of fond memories about that uh, being, you know, for that time... Yeah. For me, one of the most stylistic games I've ever played ever. And I think to this day, it's still beloved by so many people to the point where that spiritual successor, which I can't think of the name of, um, you know, is, is coming out or is, I don't know if it's already out now or something. Oh, that, that weird one. Bomb Rush um, Cyberfunk maybe or yeah, something it's weird that like weird... that. It's, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but it, it is so beloved by, you know, the, the, the community. And, um, I mean, it's, Hi-Fi Rush. It's such yeah. It's even a little bit of Hi-Fi Rush DNA. Uh, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. There it is. Yeah, yeah. 
So coming out this year, man, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. It was just, you know, a game that really introduced style to me in a, yeah. in a way oh, yeah. that I had That's never seen man. before in a video game. So I had yeah. to tip my hat to that here because uh, it made me think about art style and about visuals in a much different way. Yeah. Uh, my, my number one here game in terms of like the game that I, I would say defined me as a gamer is uh, is the Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. Uh you know, you got your Halos, you got your first-person shooters. A lot of the times when you thought, think about those games, you just think about pretty straightforward, you know, shooter, especially with the old Dooms and the old Wolfenstein's corridor shooter, mm-hmm. going down a corridor, shooting enemies, blah, blah, blah. The Chronicles of Riddick took the an action-adventure game like that would usually be a third person game telling a story and 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 made this and put it into a first person uh game and made this game more than just a corridor shooter i mean the story of this game the things that this game does in terms of its storytelling it's it's uh it's uh, ambiance uh it's setting all of it is absolutely fantastic and it's a licensed game at that it's, it's based off the character that you saw in pitch black with vin diesel as the main character yeah. of the game and and yet the physics of the game, the, the, the way that you could, the things that you can do in this game on a console that you've never been able to do before. The story was great were too, absolutely, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely mind-blowing game. I mean, this game, when I played this game, obviously, even then, as a younger gamer, the expectations were low because it was a licensed game based on a based on a, a movie that had come out like four or five years prior to that to begin with. So it's just a weird approach to... to, mm. to to have it's a weird it was a weird chance to take on this game and let me tell you man this game is amazing just absolutely amazing remember the prison scene when you're in prison for a while and you have to break out of the prison and and, and just how you'd go about that and 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 just things like that, that sort it just it really took the first person genre and made it more and i dare say that it's not a game that that the style of game and what it does, it hasn't really been replicated too much. Like you got your Wolfenstein's now that that they're doing a lot more pop story kind a uh, take on 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 a first person shooter. But you know, first FPSs have become more bombastic, but have pretty much been the same kind of game for a long time. Chronicles of uh, of Riddick, the, the Butcher Bay game, just took a chance on that, man. It really just, it made an action-adventure mm-hmm. game, put it in a first-person camera, and it made it work in every way possible. And it, it, it's it's... It's a game that I think about. Like I, I, I wish that they would remake it because <laughs> I think it would stand the test of time, honestly. And I wish more games would do that. I wish games were a lot more immersive within their FPS. Like I, I, I think of games like, um, I think of games like Human Revolution, Deus Ex, that they, they, they ended up doing a lot of this stuff, but. I think that their approach to it is a little more methodical. And Chronicles of Riddick, you can be methodical, but the fact that you it was pretty open in terms of how you can approach things, and that was and that blew my mind back in what 2004 when the game came out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, but the Chronicles of uh, Riddick but, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay, love that game to pieces. It kind of expanded my uh, kind of how I feel about first person shooters and what they can actually be rather than just quarter shooters. So yeah. That's where I'm at with that. What do you got? Yeah, man. I mean, real quick, Starbreeze is what were, man, they were the shit back in the day, man. Between that, yeah, Starbreeze, the darkness, man, the darkness, come on now. Yeah. They turned into machine games, which is why Wolfenstein is great. Like that yeah, lineage yeah, yeah. Is, is just fire, man. They are great. I really wish, I really wish that would make uh, a remake, Butcher, Butcher Bay, man, because that game was fire. Yeah. I bet you there's some licensing stuff that Probably. would stop them from doing that, but man. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was way better than it had any business being. 
Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, my last game on my list of games that define me is Burnout Paradise. Um, man, this game was probably the first time I could safely say that a game ever gave me like an adrenaline rush. Um, the open city nature <laughs> was a big transition for the series, That's so it was a, a huge game, change in that regard, and it just worked. It was fun, it was fast, it was blisteringly, you know, crazy. Wrecks everywhere, you know, like the takedown events were, were fire. You know, finding a car that, that you wanted to catch and be able to take that car, you had to go chase that car throughout the city, and it happened, like, dynamically. Um, man, everything of the soundtrack of that game, obviously they licensed Guns N' Roses for the theme song and, uh, they had a lot of other licensed music from that era, uh, at the time as well. So, I mean, as somebody that's not really big on racing games, unless they're, you know, they're either sim enough to be respected or, or just over the top enough to be fun. Like this was definitely the latter in a way for me that was like, man, I can't put this thing down. I, I've dumped so many hours into it. I have so many fond memories of that era um, and introducing people to that game uh, because a lot of people thought, oh, it's just that game where you crash a lot and it looks kind of cool in slow-mo. But this game was so much more than that, man. And I, I remember the DLC that came out, um, adding new islands to and new vehicles, motorcycle. Man, that game was incredible. Uh, definitely one of my favorite racing or car games ever made. Uh, which I don't play a lot of them, so it, it is in rare company, but it's deserved, man. That game, to me, it, Criterion not being what they were back then today is a crime. Like, I wish that we got it more hurts. burnouts after that. It's it's downright baffling that they never got the chance to follow that up the right way. So, it sucks, but no, and, and, great game. And I remember Burnout 3 being absolutely incredible, and then, obviously, if they would have made more, like Burnout 4 or 5... What, um, then you could have probably been like, yeah, that's the game that just crashes cars. They didn't have to, but they went all out, man. Oh, man. They went open world with Burnout Paradise with the crash physics. That I remember, I, there was a Burnout Paradise remaster that came out a couple of years ago, and I spent some time mm -hmm. in that. That was it's still I, good. That game man. holds up. It's yeah. still good, man. That is one hell of a game. So dope. And that's kind of like when you think about racing games today. You think about uh, Forza Horizon Five, and you think about uh, even motorsport, like. But really, Horizon is 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 the is is the one that I think closely resembles it, and it would not exist in its form without Burnout Paradise because uh, Burnout Paradise really brought that whole entire open worldness to to really made it really good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's a great pick. Well, those are the games that define us. Um, that was a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing this segment, and I'm sure we will return to this once again in the future. But that is going to do it for this week's show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, next week, we have a very interesting episode lined up for you. I'm not going to give away what it's about. I'm just going to say we went in a time machine and landed <laughs> in 1999. That's all I'm going to say. All right? All right, so... Maybe that gave away too much, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is, but here's what it is. Uh, so be sure to check out next week's episode. I don't think you've heard anything like what we're going to try to do uh, next week. And if it fails, it's all Pablo's fault. It was his idea. And we're going to pitch our voices to sound like we sound in the next Let's try that. Uh, and ruin all of our followers' uh, ear eardrums. But um, 
check us out next week for sure if you don't mind but until then give our podcast a sub if you enjoyed this and don't forget to follow us on all our socials to keep us in your fov thanks for listening and we'll see you next time